Hello, everybody. This is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I am now in Luke chapter 5. I'm going to do the first 11 verses of chapter 5 of Luke. We're going, to, we're going to talk about how Jesus finds four fishes of men. He calls four fishermen who were fishing for fish, and then they begin to fish for men. And those four would be Peter, Andrew, James, and John. The first thing we need to note is that Luke 5, verses 1 through 11, according to Robertson, is out of time order. This first 11, these first 11 verses in Luke 5 describe Jesus finding four fishes of men, namely Peter and Andrew, James and John. But Peter, Andrew, James and John have already been chosen when certain events in Acts in Luke chapter 4 have occurred. For example... The healing of the demoniac on the Sabbath day, which took place in Luke chapter 4, verses 31 through 37. Jesus' healing of Peter's mother-in-law and many other people in Luke chapter 4, 38 through 41. And then the first tour of Galilee with the four fishermen, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, which took place in Luke 4, verses 42 through 44. Well, we've, we've already described that in the previous chapter. And now we're going to flash back in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, and take up the choosing of the first four disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Again, these harmonies are not set in stone. They're debatable sometimes, but that generally I think he's probably close enough to the truth. And so this is where we are. We're back in Capernaum. Now there are a couple of parallel passages. We don't get much from Mark 1, 16 through 20. So I'm going to look at Luke 5, 1 through 11 and Matthew 4, 18 through 22. So starting with Luke chapter 5, verse 1 and reading to verse 3. So it was as the multitude pressed about him, that's Jesus, to hear the word of God that he, Jesus, stood by the lake of Gennesaret. Gennesaret's another word for the Sea of Galilee. And saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. The other boat, by the way, belonged to James and John, son of Zebedee, and Zebedee's, and their father Zebedee. So he got, he, Jesus, got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, that's Simon Peter's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat, Jesus did. So now Jesus was beginning to get very popular in Capernaum for two reasons, his teaching and his miracles. I'm sure Simon Peter was very honored to have Jesus pick his boat. He was probably listening pretty hard to Jesus' message as he spoke from the boat. Now, of course, Jesus' voice would bounce off that lake pretty good, and he could get a big audience that way, and people could see him. That's why he did that. The crowds had gotten a little bit unmanageable. Luke chapter 5, verses 4 through 7. When he, Jesus, had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat, that's James and John, to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Now, the catch, miraculous catch of fish was in Simon's boat, but they had so many fish they had to take the fish from Simon's boat and put it into James and John's boat. Now, Peter let Jesus use the boat, and Jesus more than rewarded Peter for the use of the boat. But it was more than just a reward that Jesus was looking out, looking out for. He was trying to create an object lesson. You guys want to fish? Well, here's fish, physical fish, but I'm going to make you fishers of men. Jesus liked to do that with his miracles. Now, notice that 
Peter showed a lot of submission and trust in Jesus to let down the nets because he had fished all night and caught nothing, and nighttime was the best time to fish back then. At least the fishermen thought so, and I'm sure they knew what they were doing. Now, Peter could have put a, given Jesus a lot of excuses. He could have said, look, Jesus, I worked all night. I'm tired. We've already washed our nets, and you're telling me to go back out there in the daytime when I need to be sleeping and, fi and fish some more? Peter could have said this, I know a lot more about fishing than you do, Jesus. You're just a carpenter. I'm a fisherman. He could have said, look, Jesus, the best fishing is at night. It's not in the daytime. He could have said, look, all these crowds and the loud teaching that you just did has scared all the fish away. He could have made all kinds of excuses. But there is no excuse for not obeying Jesus. Jesus knows what he's doing when he asks us to do things which we don't think make a lot of sense at first. And I'm sure Peter thought this made no sense. Now, if he'd have made excuses instead of obeying, he would have lost out on a great blessing, a great financial blessing, a lot of fish. The lesson here is that working without the direction of Jesus is non-productive. It doesn't matter how hard you work. You can, you can work and work and work, and all of your bags will have holes in it. You put your money in your money bags, and the money comes right out the holes. You know how that is. But when you work how Jesus tells you to work, there are abundant rewards. It's better to work smart than to work hard. And working after Jesus' commands, working according to Jesus' command, Jesus's commands, that's working smart. Notice that Peter's failure didn't let keep him from obeying Jesus. He had failed to catch fish, but when he obeyed Jesus, he was no longer a failure. He was a success. That's something we ought to remember, too. There's a lot of applications you can make there. You want to be a success? Listen to Jesus. Luke chapter 5, 8 through 11. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Anytime you see the numinous, anytime you see the miraculous, anytime you see something you can't explain in the natural, that's ten to which you start thinking you start thinking sort of small about yourself. I'm not such a big shot. I can't explain things. I'm a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken, and so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. They were in the other boat. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. They knew what a great miracle this was, and that's why they said, Jesus said, Depart from me. That's why... Peter fell down on his face at Jesus' knees. They knew what a, he knew what a great miracle it was. He was an experienced fisherman. He knew how unfavorable the conditions were to catch fish in the daytime like that. And he also knew that Jesus was not a fisherman and had no experience as a fisherman. And yet he directed them to catch a huge bundle of fish. And Jesus says, from now on you will catch men. And as again, as I said, I believe he deliberately did that as an object lesson to, to show Peter and James and John and Andrew, look, I know how to catch men. I can catch fish and I can catch men. Just because you're an ignorant, uneducated fisherman, that doesn't matter. I'm going to teach you how to catch men. Jesus didn't choose powerful, wealthy, educated men to establish his kingdom. He chose unlearned, unlearned illiterate fishermen. And then he used miraculous power with those fishermen. He didn't rely on the natural. He relied on the supernatural, one of the hardest things it is for Christians to learn. I'm speaking from sad experience. It's hard to do that. But if we, could, if we could teach ourselves to do that, what blessings we would have as we try to do work in the kingdom of God. Now, what were some of the side effects of this great catch of fish? First of all, it showed Peter he didn't have to worry about leaving his occupation. You notice that they just got up and followed Jesus. They left their boats. They left their business. They left their entrepreneurial investment. They, they left their means of production, their source of income. Their money, they just left it. But Jesus said, you don't need to worry about that. I can catch fish anytime I want. 
Jesus is basically saying here, I can take care of your material needs anytime you want, Peter and Andrew, James and John. This incident showed Peter he could obey even if he didn't feel like it, because I'm sure he was tired and he didn't feel like it. And you know, Peter, he didn't exactly show a lot of faith here, but he did obey. And that's the main thing, is when you get, you get a word from Jesus and you obey, that's faith, and, God, and Jesus will honor that faith. And notice that when they, they left their businesses, Luke here says in verse 11, they forsook all. They forsook everything they had. They went out with the shirts on their back to follow the carpenter around Jesus, preaching some cockeyed nonsense about a kingdom. <laughs> it's really quite remarkable when you think about it. And the reason Jesus was successful in doing what he did is because he was from God. He was God. He's the truth. He's the way, the truth, and the light. Notice also that Peter was busy in his life, and Peter left his busyness. He let Jesus interrupt his busy life. He saw Jesus' power face to face, and nothing else mattered. We need to do that, too, when we're called to work in the gospel. And gospel work for the kingdom of Christ is put your stuff down. All your work and all the stuff that you think is so frippin' important, it ain't important at all compared to the work of God. Now, of course, it might be God's will for you to do that business, in which case it is his work, in which case you don't, you don't put it down. I'm, I don't think we ought to be, what's the word, super spiritual about all this? No. You don't need to be super spiritual about it. But if you've got that call to forsake it, you need to forsake it. And in my humble opinion, every Christian who goes even a little bit into the kingdom, sooner or later, you're going to come to the stage, the place where Jesus will say, okay, give it up. Time to follow me. He just does it over and over again. How many Christian testimonies have you heard of that effect? So why should we be, why should any of us think that we're exempt from that? And it's not easy, but Peter did it. So I, And Andrew did it. James and John did it. God bless them. Let's look at the parallel passage now that we're finished with Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Let's look at the parallel passage in Matthew 4, verses 18 through 22. And now I'll read verses 18 through 20. Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now there's a lot that's left out of here. All the, the, the stuff about the miraculous draft of fishes, which I would have thought would have been an interesting detail. Matthew leaves it out. Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, was this just serendipity that he ran into Simon and Andrew? Or was he looking for them with a purpose? I think he was looking for them with a purpose. He wasn't just out there walking for his recreation or for a diversion. He didn't run into them by accident. The reason I say that is because earlier when he was down in around Judea, down near the Jordan River, John chapter 1, verses 40 through 41, we read this. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So Andrew already knew about Jesus from his ministry right after getting baptized uh, by John the Baptist. Verse 41 in John 1, he, Andrew, found first his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah. So Jesus knew them from John's baptism. He probably sought them out when he came to Galilee. Simon, by the way, is also known as Simeon. He's also known as Cephas. He's also known as Peter. He's got more, he's got more names than a exotic flower with all those Latin names under it that you can't read and follow and understand. There's so many names. He's got tons of names. Simon was the name his mama gave him. Peter is a Greek name Petros, which means rock, because upon this rock I will build my church, Matthew 16:18. Cephas is the translation of rock. Peter's the Greek rock. Cephas is the Aramaic rock. Simon is the name his mother gave him. I don't know where Simeon comes from. 
probably a different transliteration of Simon, I don't know. But at any rate, he is the famous Peter. Now, I mentioned earlier that these fishermen were not powerful, educated, and wealthy men. In fact, John Gill says, is that people looked at them as being, quote, despicable, unquote, and, quote, contemptible. That's worse than low class. And this was better to show God's incredible power. Jesus could have called powerful scribes and Pharisees, but he did not. It's a good thing, too, because they ended up killing him. So the application here is people do not have to be highly educated to preach. Now, I know Presbyterians don't believe that. But I'm telling you, there's a lot of uneducated people out there preaching and doing a fantastic job. I'm not against Christian education. I mean, after all, I'm using all these books and commentaries to do these Bible studies. I believe in all that. I think it's wonderful. But it's not necessary. You just need a message of the gospel. You need a Bible. Read it. Learn it. Go out and preach the gospel. Now, this fishers of men idea probably comes from Ezekiel 47, 8 through 10. This is a great Old Testament prophetic passage. Starting in verse 8, then he said to me, that would be God saying to Ezekiel, these waters go out. Let me back up here. These are the waters in the vision that came out. I think if I remember correctly, they came under the north wall of the temple. And then they went around in front of the altar. Then they turned and went east out of the eastern gate of the temple and then uh, went through the courtyard gates and then went out into the Arabah, took a right, took to the south and went down to the Arabah, getting deeper as it went, which shows that it is not a physical river because rivers don't do that. Got deeper and deeper and deeper as it headed toward the Dead Sea. Now, that's important. The Dead Sea, these are waters of life. Then God said to Ezekiel, these waters go out toward the eastern region. That means the east out of the eastern gates of the Old Testament tabernacle, Old Testament temple, and go down into the Arabah. Arabah is the valley that goes from the Dead Sea to the, well, actually it goes from the Jordan River to the Dead Sea, then from the Dead Sea down to the the Suez, that's what it's called today, the Suez Canal, I couldn't remember. So that, that Arab, Gulf of Araba goes from the Dead Sea down to the, the Suez Gulf, which of course then runs into the Red Sea. Now, let me start over again. These waters go out toward the eastern region and go down into the Araba. Then they go toward the sea, and that would be toward the Dead Sea, being made to flow into the sea, into the Dead Sea. And the waters of the sea become fresh. Now, that's important because the Dead Sea, that's why they call it the Dead Sea. It's got so many chemicals, so much asphalt in it, so many minerals you can float on it. I've floated in the Dead Sea before. All tourists do that. And they tell you if you turn yourself upside down, you're bobbing like a cork, and you can't get yourself turned up right again, you drown, which I thought was sort of a downer to be telling tourists. But it's really amazing. You can't sink in that water. It's got so much crap in it. It's dead. Ain't no fish going to live in, a de in the Dead Sea. But this water, this living water, this fresh water that gives life, it goes into the sea, and the Dead Sea, the waters of the Dead Sea become fresh. Verse 9, it will come about that every living creature which swarms in every place where the river goes will live. So there's your idea of fish. They're in this living water that came out of the temple of God, which, of course, is where God is. This, this water is a symbol of life. And there will be many, very many fish for these waters in every place where the river goes. So the, the river of water of life coming out of the temple goes down into the Dead Sea, makes the Dead Sea come alive. And there will be very many fish for these waters go there and the, other, and the others become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. So all this Jesus water, or divine water, that comes out of the temple just brings life everywhere it goes. And it will come about that fishermen will stand beside it. Fishermen will stand beside this water of life. From En Gedi, that's on the western shore of the Dead Sea, halfway down, to Enigleum, which is Beer, which is south of the Dead Sea, in the area of Sodom and Gomorrah. Dead area, desert area. I've been there, too. 
I've been, well, at least I've been to En Gedi, uh, in that area, and it's desert, man. It is totally desert. And so this is not, and of course down near Sodom and Gomorrah is asphalt pits. So from En Gedi to, to Enagleum, there will be a place for the spreading of nets. In other words, there's going to be fishermen down there fishing where there used to be death. Now there's life. There's lots of fish. Their fish will be according to their kinds, like the fish of the Great Sea, the Mediterranean. Very many. So there you have a prophetic instance of fish coming into the kingdom. That's a great prophecy. It's a prophecy that people don't pay attention to too much, I don't think. Maybe they do. I haven't heard it, but I like it. Now, you notice that when Jesus called Peter and Andrew to follow me, immediately they left their nets. They didn't say, well, I've got to go talk to my family. i got to go talk to my wife. Gotta, gotta go. No, they just got up and followed him. What kind of a man was Jesus that could demand that of people and people just get up and follow him and leave their business, leave their li- livelihood? Now, when Jesus said, follow me, he didn't mean just follow him geographically. Following a person in Jewish culture and terminology meant being a person's disciple or scholar. So he's saying, be my disciples. Matthew 4, 21 and 22, and we'll finish this audio up. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers. That means going on from the side of the Sea of Galilee where Peter's boat was. He passed there, and, he, and Jesus saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. James and John, the son of Zebedee, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. Again, this was after they had fished all night. He called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. So just like Peter and Andrew, they immediately followed Jesus. So there's four disciples just like that. Mending their nets means preparing. The NIV has preparing their nets, which in, in addition to mending would mean washing their nets, hanging them up to dry, according to the NIV study Bible, they were just doing their job. And they left their job and left. Now, can you imagine what their father thought? What are you doing? You leave, I got this nice boat here. And his father had servants hired for that boat, so he had some money. He had an established fishing business, and his sons leave him. You're going to leave this business to follow some carpenter going around preaching this cock and bull story about a kingdom? Well, that's not the way James and John saw it. They left their occupation. They left their family. They left their daddy. You can imagine their father Zebedee saying this, What? After all I've trained you for? You're leaving it to follow a poor, poor, uneducated carpenter's son? Teaching some new religious doctrine? What about your future? And what about me in my old age? So it must have been hard for James and John to leave, but they immediately le- left their business and followed Jesus. Now, we should note that Zebedee was well off, probably, because in Mark chapter 1, verse 20, we read this. This is the parallel passage. Immediately he, Jesus, called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him. So Zebedee actually had people working for him, and he could probably make it when James and John left. So it's not like he was abandoning his father to poverty in his old age. But nonetheless, he left the business and went to follow Jesus. I should point out here that there is a difference of opinion, according to Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown, as to whether this incident here in Matthew 4, 18-22 is the same incident in Luke 5, 1-11. In my opinion, it is. It's too close. But there's some different details. In Luke, the four are all called together to be disciples. They're split out in Matthew. In Luke, you've got that preceding glorious miracle of the miraculous draft of fishes. You don't have that in Matthew and Mark. And in Luke, you have a huge crowd pressing on Jesus, but the other two don't mention the details. That doesn't mean anything. It just means that the different gospel authors focused on different aspects of the story, in my humble opinion. That is the end of this audio about Jesus finding four fishers of men by the Sea of Galilee near Capernaum at the beginning of his great Capernaum ministry. 
We will continue next week, starting with Luke, next audio, starting with Luke chapter 5, verse 12. I hope you enjoyed this audio.